listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. you from the Windy City Slam Studios in the southwest suburbs of Chicago. This is Windy City Slam Podcast. Welcome on in everyone. Mike Pankow here, the founder and editor of WindyCitySlam.com and the host of Windy City Slam Podcast. And we've got a ton of stuff to talk about this week. We have CSW's The Second Coming, we have Dreamwave Wrestling Anniversary 8. We have Night of the Super Wrestlers, as our friend Pat Ackerman of the lovely Intoxicated Men has given us a report, and I will recite that later on. Plus, we're going to preview Second Wrestling's Altercation this weekend, Power Entertainment's Saturday Night Fights, and our special guest for the first time. She's a wrestler, a manager, a commentator, and a real-life therapist. The special guest for this week is Davison Sarai. And you've seen her in Rocket Pro Wrestling, among other Midwestern promotions. And we'll get to all that in just a moment, right here on Windy City Slam Podcast. Stay tuned. Wrestling fans often talk about psychology in the squared circle. But what about your individual psychology and mental health? The counselors at True Heights Treatment offer in-person or virtual appointments. To learn more, go to www.trueheightstx.com or give them a call at 708-248-7039. My name is Storm Grayson. I'm your freelance wrestling world champion, and you're listening to the Windy City Slam Podcast. All right, back here on Windy City Slam Podcast. Lots of action to get to. But first, this weekend, Friday and Saturday night, April 28th and 29th, Impact Wrestling comes to the Chicagoland area. This time, they're bringing the television trucks for Spring Slugfest at Cicero Stadium in Cicero. 6 p.m. start each night. You'll have the new Impact Wrestling World Champion Steve Macklin, the three-time Impact Wrestling Knockouts Champion Deanna Perrazzo, Trey Miguel, Joe Henry, the Motor City Machine Guns, Bully Ray, Tommy Dreamer, and all of the stars of Impact Wrestling will be in Cicero this weekend. Plus, there are going to be some meet and greets before and after the show, so stay tuned for information on that. And I believe Dirty Dango is one of the meet and greets as well. And if you missed the highest rated episode in history of Windy City Slam podcast with Dirty Dango... You can check that episode out right now in the Windy City Slam archives or at WindyCitySlam.com. All right, moving on to local action. This past weekend, Friday night, April the 21st, Chicago Style Wrestling presented the second coming at the American Legion in Franklin Park. Started the show off with GM Steve Arendt presenting Sierra and Steve Boz with new CSW Women's and Metro Division Championships, respectively. And then the show began in earnest the CSW Tag Team Championship, a two out of three falls match, and congratulations to Big Mood of Mateo Valentine and Jack Moody. They defeat the hate keepers of Shane Boucher and Jay Marston, two falls to one, to win the championships. 
Fall number one, we had Big Moo jumping the gun early and getting a quick pin. Ref Turtle then ejects the rest of the Hate Keepers, Hollister, Lycan, and Tupu from ringside before the second fall began. And in the second fall, after some back and forth, the Hate Keepers even it up with a low blow and a leverage pin on Mateo Valentine. And then in the third fall, Big Mood hits the Mood Killer, and three different refs end up counting to three because two of the previous KO'd refs actually came to, and Steve Arendt, who donned a referee shirt and came in to replace the two refs, they all made the three count simultaneously. Kind of a funny moment there. Falls count anywhere match, and the dog-faced bastard Greg Murray pins Chris Miller after hitting him with Miller's sledgehammer Christine and superplexing him through a table. Now, this match included a brawl into the parking lot. They drove off in a car. Even Ref Dev was part of that, too. And then they came back after a couple of other matches to finish it off back in the arena. Funny stuff right there. In the meantime, we had the scramble match, and J.J. Garrett pulls off the victory, defeating Shane Hollister, Doom Montgomery, Joey Jet Avalon, and Joey Mayberry. And then we had Conan Lycan defeating Adam Stallion. And then we had the finish of the False Count Anywhere match. And following that, we had a trios match with Marche Rocket, Mario Pardua, and superstar Steve Boz defeating Team Sexy of Jax Johnson and Ryan Matthews and Iniestra when Marche Rocket hits the M80 on Iniestra and pins him. Although I don't think Iniestra is done with Steve Boz by any stretch, that feud will continue and perhaps end up in another match for the Metro Division Championship. And then we had the CSW Women's Championship, a triple threat, and the champion Sierra retains by defeating Shelly the Bombshell and Shalance Royal when attorney Eric Schultz interferes, distracts Shelly, and then Sierra hits Shelly with the brand new CSW Women's Championship, leading to the pinfall. Rhino, the former WWE ECW star and Impact Wrestling star, pins Solomon Tupu following the gore. Semi-main event mixed tag team action and Heather Reckless in Hades X1X defeats Sky Blue and Cypher when Hades X1X makes Cypher pass out with the Koji Clutch. After the match, Sky Blue makes a heartfelt speech as it looks like she won't be with CSW for a while as she has signed a full-time deal with AEW. And a lot of the members of the locker room came out and serenaded her with applause and kind of played tribute to Sky Blue and... CSW really made Sky Blue into what she is today, and congratulations again to Sky signing that full-time deal recently with AEW, and we're going to be pulling for you really hard, Sky. And then, in the main event, the CSW Championship, Axel Rico retains the title, pinning Vic Capri. After the match, the Hitkeepers attacked both men. Then, Marco Anthony, Sean Mulligan, and Cody James came out to even the odds. And afterward, when the smoke cleared a little bit, Axel Rico challenged Conan Lycan to a tables, ladders, and chairs match at the next CSW show in May. Saturday night, April the 22nd, Dreamwave Wrestling presents Anniversary 8 at the Knights of Columbus in LaSalle. This aired on IWTV.live, as did CSW. We had Stephen Wolf pitting Marcus Mathers following a jumping tombstone pile driver. And then Vic Capri and Shelly the Bombshell came to the ring before Connor Hopkins, Brooks Berna, and Damian Deshane came out to insult them. Capri walked away, but for whatever reason, Shelly was still at ringside. Then TDC, those damn coyotes, attacked Shelly before Capri came back to chase them away, 
and he challenged Hopkins to a match later on. Four-man scramble, which originally was supposed to take place on the pre-show, but a cool thing is they put him on the main card. We have Florida Man defeating Iniestra, Jordan Cross, and Dylan McKay with a leverage pin on McKay to earn the shot at the June 17th Dreamwave main card. Then we had Eric Cannon defeating the legendary Ricky Morton with a leverage pin. Justin Fowler pins Marche Rocket, who came down with C. Red, as he hooked the tights after Aaron Xavier and Bucky Collins made their presence known at ringside. And then PCO came out in an open challenge, and he beats Justin Fowler after a moonsault. And then Vic Capri pinned Connor Hopkins after Shelley hits Hopkins with a doomsday device after ref Donovan was briefly taken out, following interference from those damn coyotes. And then for the Dreamwave Tag Team Championship, which was vacant coming into the show, Wasted Youth, Marcus Mathers and Dylan McKay, who had their own matches earlier in the night, they defeat those damn coyotes of Berna and DeShane, and seduce and destroy Bucky Collins and Darren Xavier, the Hype, Hunter Holdcraft and 12 Gauge, the Dope Kings, Brew Baker and CJ Esparza, and the four-star heroes of Matt Nix and Chris Castro to win the vacant titles. Collins and Xavier defeated the Dope Kings to apparently win the match, but a sixth team, which was Mathers and McKay, Wasted Youth, came out, and they ended up winning the gauntlet match and becoming your new Dreamwave Tag Team Champions. For the Dreamwave Alternative Championship, Gringo Loco retains the title by beating Alex Shelley, Mike Bailey, and Nick Wayne, when Gringo pins Bailey after a spinning powerbomb off the top rope. And this was a crazy match in the semi-main event. Mance Warners and Manders, the second-gear crew, defeat Hartenbauer and Mike Bennett when Warner made Hartenbauer pass out with a crossface after a long, bloody brawl. And this was crazy stuff. They even had signs at the door advising that this match could get ugly and bloody. And sure enough, it delivered in that respect. And then in your main event, it was the Dreamwave Championship. Christian Rose retains the title by defeating Johnny Dreamwave, a.k.a. John Morrison, after interference from Harley Morenstein. And if you don't know who that is, that's the guy who John Morrison actually defeated a week earlier in a boxing match. Crazy stuff. Morenstein chokeslams Morrison before Rose gets the win via a TKO with a Boston Crab. After the match, Vic Capri comes out to challenge Rose for the title in a last man standing match on June the 17th. A couple of other notes from the weekend. We have Saturday night, April the 22nd, Northland Pro presented Mega Crusade at the VFW in Woodstock. Northland Pro champion Eric Schultz defeats Cody James after Northland owner trademark Nate Peppel betrayed Cody. And then, dogface bastard Greg Murray won the Northland Rumble to become the number one contender to Schultz, and he's going to challenge him for that title on July the 15th. Also Saturday night, April the 22nd, Southland Championship Wrestling presented Wrestle Rock at the Steam Hollow Brewery in Mantino, and in one of your main matches, SCW Genesis Champion Koa Loxamana defeats Just Amazing to retain. Also this past weekend, we had this really oddball, cool, silly wrestling show called Night of the Super Wrestlers at the Concord Music Hall in Chicago. Now, this was the brainchild of Billy Wack and CM Venom, 
and they presented a one-night eight-man tournament with some familiar faces and some of them wrestling as alter egos. And now results, courtesy of friend of the show, Pat Ackerman of the Lovely Intoxicated Men. And this is what Pat had to say about the show. In round one, we had Shogun defeating Vlad Bladder, Teenage Vampire, with Holy Water. And then we had Bitness Puppy defeating USA Hole. And then Ryor, the King of Crosturnia, defeats Destructo. And in the final first round match, the Punk Rock Prince Jordan Cross defeats that guy, Pubic Moose. And in your semifinals, we had Shogun defeating Bitness Puppy. And Pat adds that he had puppies. And then RoboRef electrocuted Bitness. So... I hope there's video on this at some point because this is really crazy stuff. And in the other semifinal, Ryor defeats Jordan Cross in a battle of father and son. And then in the final, we had Shogun defeating Ryor and he wins the prize and wins the tournament. Some notes from Pat Ackerman. He says the biggest reactions of the night were for Shogun and Vlad Blatter and that their match was his personal favorite of the night. He said Bitness Puppy was a hit with the fans as well as Pubic Moose. He also mentions that Super Wrestlers 2 will be taking place on August the 27th and that the crowd was eating everything up on Sunday night. The production value was really good, and including a giant video board. And he also adds that the Jordan Cross Pubic Moose match, Cross was fighting the match as revenge for his car that was totaled by Pubic Moose's father. So they even had storylines going in this thing. <laughs> and then during the main event, Destructo, USA Hole, and Jordan Cross came out to support Shogun, but were eventually run off by Pubic Moose and Bitness Puppy. And then after Bitness Puppy's semifinal, someone came out with a box of Bitness Puppy's children. So I guess he's a father now. Did they do some paternity testing or something on that? <laughs> anyway, thanks to Pat Ackerman of the lovely Intoxicated Men to recap Night of the Super Wrestlers. Hello, everyone. Maven, former WWE superstar, season one, tough enough winner. Make sure you catch Windy City Slam podcast wherever podcasts are available. So Windy City Slam, check it out. Moving on to this weekend, we have Thursday, April the 27th. Second Wrestling presents Altercation at Dirty Nellie's in Palatine, 7 p.m. Bell. For the Second Wrestling Championship, Billy Starks defends in a four-way match against Effie, Eric Hannon, and Missa Kate. That should be a terrific bout right there. And for your Maxwell Street Heritage Championship, Thunderfrog defends the title in a fatal four-way match against Jackson Stampede Larkin with Jason Midas versus Beyond Alpha Ezio Orlandi versus Bradley Prescott. And if you want to hear more from Jackson Stampede Larkin, he was the guest last week on Windy City Slam Podcast. If you missed out, go ahead and check it out in the archives or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And then Tag Team Action has the premiere of Campbell Myers and SK Bishop taking on Pick and Pop of Darius Luttrell and Coda Hernandez. Laney Luck faces Steph the Lander. Blair Onyx takes on Sean Logan and Billy Dixon wrestles against Brogan Finlay. Also this weekend, Friday, April the 28th, Legacy Pro Wrestling's The Battle for Supremacy is at the Buena Vista Banquets in Milwaukee. Also Friday night, the 28th, Fourth Wall Wrestling, Wrestling in the Ring at La Pica Lounge in Milwaukee. Moving on to Saturday, April the 29th, Black Label Pro presents Too Cold to Hold at the Berwyn Eagles Club, 
Two Cold Scorpio among the stars there. It's really cool to see Black Label Pro invade the Berwyn Eagles Club. And then, also Saturday, April the 29th, if you're in the mood for a little light-hearted entertainment, there's an evening with Al Snow with David Vox Mullen and Alidar Sky at Zany Chicago, and that show starts at 4 o'clock. You can still get your tickets online. And then also, if you go north of the border, Saturday, April the 29th, Janesville Wrestling Alliance presents Wrestling Superstars and Collectibles at the JWA Stock Pavilion in Janesville. And Saturday, April the 29th, if you go a little farther north, you're going up to Appleton now. We've had Frontline Pro on the show before. They're a little north of Milwaukee for the most part, but I want to mention this show because it's their biggest show of the year, Honor Bound, at the Alexander Gymnasium inside Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this show features Frontline Pro Champion Quinn Wittick, Tatanka, Vampiro, Jacob Fatu, Billy Gunn, and Brian Pillman Jr., among others. Saturday night, April the 29th, back in Illinois, POW Entertainment presents Saturday Night Fights at the Teawood Bar and Grill in Wooddale, 8 o'clock bell time. You're going to have a Keys to the Kingdom Qualifier Royal. In singles action, Meat Hooks O'Bannon takes on Tiny, making a rare singles match appearance. And then we have Axel Abrio facing Tommy McCobb. Style and Shane Eaton and Chuck Stalux face off in a continuation of their long feud. And then we have It's Your Boy, Mason Perks, against Scott Spade with Tiny and Mistress Misery. And this will be a treat for the POW audience. Sharpshooter James Creed comes to POW to face Bonanza. Sunday, April the 30th, the Chicago Card Show at the Bridgeview Community Center in Bridgeview. And this has appearances by Sky Blue, Maria Canellis and Christy Hemi. They'll be there signing autographs, taking pictures with fans. Kind of a cool chance to meet some of the most notable women in professional wrestling. And then Sunday, April the 30th, Zawa is at Castle Chaos Multicon in Oregon. Show begins there at 1 o'clock. And then Sunday, April the 30th, Gali Lucha Libre presents Sierra de Aurora in Aurora. And some other news and notes from the Chicagoland area. AAW Pro's Uno Mas show with Gringo Loco versus Ray Fenix on May 6th will now be at Irving Hall on the northwest side of Chicago, moving from Logan Square Auditorium due to a conflict. And then, due to personal reasons, Chicagoland Championship Wrestling show scheduled for May 21st at the Berwyn Eagles Club is now postponed and will be rescheduled. And in another really cool moment over the weekend, CSW talent, including CSW champion Axel Rico, Sky Blue, Joy Mayberry, Dogface Bastard Greg Murray, Jack Moody, Rafael Quintero, Jillian, Cypher, Ring Film Dude Derek, and Ref Kevin Woods volunteered at the Chicago Canine Rescue on the Northwest Side last weekend. So cool to see all these guys, especially a lot of younger guys and girls, give back to the community and show that professional wrestlers are really damn cool people. Hat tip to Steve Boz and CSW for their generosity and just being totally awesome. All right, coming up in mere moments, we have for the very first time, wrestler, manager, commentator, and real-life therapist, Davison Sarai. Stay tuned. Want to get more customers for your business? Promoters, do you want more exposure for your upcoming event? Windy City Slam Podcast can be your tag team partner. 
advertised with Windy City Slam and reached wrestling fans in the Chicagoland area and in the Midwest. Message us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or email Mike Pankow at WindyCitySlam.com. That's M-I-K-E-P-A-N-K-O-W at WindyCitySlam.com. SSW Tag Team Champion, the Punk Rock Prince, Jordan Cross, here live at the Cross Stop in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And you are checking out my best friends over at Windy City Slam Podcast. Mike Pankow, you are the man. Make sure to subscribe, like, follow, share, and everything else. And you can follow me at The Jordan Cross. I am the Punk Rock Prince. Thank you. All right, back here on Windy City Slam podcast this week. And we welcome, for the first time, she's a wrestler, a manager, a commentator, and a real-life therapist. You've seen her as a therapist for No Coast at Rocket Pro Wrestling, among her work for other Midwestern promotions. Ladies and gentlemen, Davison Sarai. Davison, how you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you for that elaborate introduction. Thanks for coming on. I'm really looking forward to this interview. Yeah, I've been excited since you, uh, did I suggest it? Did I reach out to you or did you reach out to I me? You actually reached out to me, and that was really cool. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm in wrestling for a reason. I want people to find out I'm wrestling. So anytime I can do some media, I try to. Now, you've got quite the story. Uh, you're a transgender woman who works as a real-life therapist, and you're in your mid-40s, and you just broke into wrestling just a few years ago. So what finally pulled you into the wrestling business? Well, it's a uh, it's kind of a long story. Uh, do you want the long version or the medium version? Or uh, um, I guess we could do the medium version. <laughs> the medium version, okay. So um, I was like backyard wrestling by the age of ten with oh, wow. my neighbor. Uh, we made these real life wrestling dolls out of hooded sweatshirts and sweatpants and stuffed them full of like newspapers and pillows, and, like taped them together. So from a young age, like I knew how to do all outlandish, you know, you name it. But so that carried on throughout high school. And then I went to college and I kind of started falling out of it a little bit. This would have been like the late 90s. Mm -hmm. But then a roommate of mine was like super into WCW and uh, WWE were starting to go against each other at the time. So I kind of got pulled back in. He then suggested that we go try out some training because I told him about my whole like obsession from childhood. I actually went to the UP for two weeks and worked out with Mike Shaw back in 1999. That was uh, Bastion Booger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he lived up in Marquette, and he ran out of a um, Thai kickboxing gym at the time. Uh-huh. That sucked. Um, <laughs> so did that, and then I got uh, got my degree, started working in special ed for a long time. I got my master's degree in 2010. I started doing therapy at that time, working in some rehab facilities. I then uh, transitioned starting in 2014, so it's like in the middle of my therapy career. And then in 2010... Um, I was doing a podcast with a good friend of mine, Mark Frankhouse, and we had a local wrestler on the show to promote one of his events. And it wound up being Josh Raymond, who you might know as Josh Abercrombie from back in the day. He wound up being my trainer. He liked us. He invited us to a show. He said that his commentary team wasn't exactly what he was looking for. So we started doing it. And then the shutdown happened like four shows into me working for that company. And uh, I was bored, like everybody. And I asked him if I could start training because everybody else was doing it. I figured, why not try it? And kind of got good at it relatively quickly. So I was doing commentary for him for like a year. And during that time, I'm meeting wrestlers from around Michigan. So when I finally debuted, that would have been October of 21 for his company. 
I think I had like five, five matches there total in like seven months. Like I barely, it was mostly commentary, a little bit of wrestling. When I left there, that's when I've done everything until now. So that's when I left and I've gone to Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin has come July. I've been in Ohio already. And that's all because I've just been obsessed since I was a kid. I've been watching it for like more decades than I care to admit. Almost as long as I have. <laughs> it's been a minute. Yeah. I started when I was like seven or eight, I think like something like that. Yeah, very, very young. Yeah, I was around eight years old myself back in the mid-80s, world-class, WWF, NWA, yep. stuff like that. Yep, AWA. So yep. are we the same age? How old are you? I'm a couple years older than you, I believe. I'm 48. Okay, well, you're a, a year old. I'm 47. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, yeah, I remember cable became the thing, and then all of a sudden, AWA, WCCW, 605 was WCW on uh, TBS. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time, I wasn't as into WWF. Even when I was young, it was a little too, like, you know, cartoony or maybe. Cartoony. Yeah. Even as a kid, I was really more into, like, the realism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty darn cool. And it's a funny thing is you just don't see people breaking into the business, like, in their 40s, like you have. Uh, 30s in some cases. Guys like Diamond Dallas Page and Steve McMichael were a couple of pretty good examples of guys who decided, okay, I'm in my 30s. Uh, McMichael obviously played football before that, but DDP was more of a manager, a commentator, stuff like that. People started a little late, but they actually had a, a level of success, especially DDP. So uh, what's it like to be kind of in that class of, like, you know, okay, I'm going to get into this when I'm a little bit older. Oh, don't get me wrong. They're not in my class. I'm way older than they were. They're below me. True. I'm one of a kind. Come on, let's be real. Uh, I don't have an answer for that. I don't I don't know. Uh, what I can say is that the only thing I can imagine is this because I was straight edge. Um, I used to be like in the hardcore scene for a very long time, like from my late teens, toured in bands and played bands. That's how I got all my tattoos, basically. Mm-hmm. But that I was vegan and vegetarian for like 25 years, right up until very rare, like I started wrestling and I needed more protein for like recovery because I'm almost as old as you. So I started eating chicken breast again, but it's been vegan and vegetarian forever. And I was straight edge. So no, I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I've never smoked a cigarette. I got to think that's, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea how this happened, but it's, uh, so what is it like? It's, it confuses everybody. It, It means I'm, my cardio is harder than when I wrestle somebody really young. I have a hard time keeping up but I have my style that makes up for that. Like I chose to do kind of like an old school ground and pound limb destruction, you know, Arn Anderson, Dean Malenko, that whole vibe so that I can, <laughs> young people who run circles around me, I can slow it down. <sighs> I get caught back up, but it's also, why I do a lot of character work because that it's, it's partially about the performance It's partially about me just getting through it. Cause I'm fucking old and I get tired. Mm-hmm. It kind of make, makes sense that you were more partial to the NWA back in the day because of some of the uh, wrestling style that you just explained. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it was chicken or the egg. I don't I don't know. But my, all throughout childhood, my favorites were like Bret Hart. And I'm talking young. Ricky Steamboat. I think Ricky Steamboat was the first match I ever saw, if I remember correctly. Like a jobber match. And then I saw Arn Anderson, fell in love with him. And then as it got a little bit further along, like, People, I'm not going to talk about Chris Benoit, but I mean, before all the, I mean, mm-hmm. Stephen Regal, Dean Malenko, yeah, all of that. And then I got introduced to um, Japanese stuff eventually. And then that led to like Ring of Honor and like Dragon Gates and that, that was all getting really technically focused. And then right now there's a little bit of a resurgence starting up, 
I hope it doesn't happen too fast because it's kind of my niche. I want to like just have that to myself for a while. But yeah, it seems like people are coming back around to more like raw bones. You know, we, we got to this height of really performative kind of dancey choreographed. It seems like people are wanting to come back to more gritty, more realistic stuff. I think it's why deathmatch stuff is getting so popular suddenly too. Yeah. It's my opinion. You did a podcast called Crucial Squirt Circle as well, which is kind of how you got in the door a little bit, which is kind of that cool. was that was ours, yeah. Yep, that's one. Uh, so Mark uh, works at a, a radio station. He's like second or third in charge of the radio station now. So way to go, Mark. But so our podcast wasn't just you know some people just do it out of the house and it's for friends or they're trying to actually get numbers, but ours was actually coming from the radio station. So we got a little bit more signal. Um, yeah, I think it's a really cool bit of fate. Like apparently Josh's wife was driving along one day, listening to the radio and suddenly she heard something about his company IPW being announced. She gets a hold of him. And she's like, did you pay for some marketing or something? He's like, no. And then he kind of tracked us down and that's how we, that's how the whole thing got started. That's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. We discussed before we went on the air and then you mentioned it a little bit earlier too. Uh, your transition came in 2014, correct? Started to, yep. Because I started hormones right at the end of that year. So yeah, it's been like eight or nine years. You made the transition after you had your education as a real life therapist. And you mentioned like 2010, you got your master's, correct? Yep. Yep. So now does your training as a licensed clinical counselor help you personally cope when there may be feelings of hate coming from another person? Oh man. Yeah, you could say that. I've taken a, a very different approach to this whole thing. And I really do thank my roots of like being the punk rock and hardcore scene. Like it's a very intense place. Um, and you didn't ask this question, but I also come from like a domestic violence background. So like the fight or flight thing was always kind of in more of the aggro, like fight lane for me. Mm -hmm. and I think it's how I got really into like the punk and hardcore scene. But because of that, it's like, and I'm, and I'm covering tattoos and I skateboarded before it was cool. So like, I've always been kind of used to people just looking at you kind of sideways, you know what I mean? Like from, from way back. Mm -hmm. uh, but also like, yeah, I, I guess I said to myself one day, philosophically, what caliber of person is going to be outwardly homophobic or transphobic? Mm -hmm. What caliber of person is going to be outwardly racist? In my opinion, the shitty, the shitty kind. So if that's the case, why do I need to be bothered with their perceptions i don't trick i don't try to pretend i can appeal to everybody nobody does it just so happens that the people i don't appeal to are morally wrong and kind of bankrupt in the situation i don't care to find anybody in the middle on that topic no so i just kind of ignore it and now that i've become a heel wrestler i found a really interesting way to like channel all of that suddenly i want my character to be like antagonistic and i kind of live the character in and out a little bit here and there um, so recently, I've seen this whole massive wave of transphobic nonsense. Here I am in the most visible capacity I've been in for 20 years since I was touring in bands. And I was male presenting at the time. So it's a radically different, you know, life experience. But I'm almost at this point of now, like daring people, like, I know how to fight for real. <laughs> I got trained by somebody who did MMA fighting for a decade. I'm like, I, I, I got a bad attitude for real. Like, it's not, it's not really an act for wrestling. So I'm not saying I want to fist fight a bunch of transphobes, but like, you're, what do I care? You know what I mean? What are you going to do? Do you want to put yourself in prison by doing something dumb to me? Probably not. 
So yeah. we're just going to jabber jaw at each other and whatever. But the advice I try to give to other people in my situation who do take it a lot harder is to do the same thing. Like, I know we've all got anxieties and we've all got our social stuff, but that has nothing to do with us worrying about our validity. We're perfectly valid. We worry about knuckleheads doing dumb shit to us. <laughs> if it wasn't for that, everything would be great. So, you know, I tell people like find safety in numbers, think about the statistics of hate crimes. Like I've had so many clients who were afraid to come out socially because they were convinced they were going to get dragged out of a bathroom, arrested for even being in a women's department or trying to ask to use a dressing room, like horrendous. And so I've had to have, have people think about like, I know you can scour the internet and find that stuff on video. There's, there's plenty of examples of it, but there's like tens of millions of us in this country. Like, so percentage wise, I, I just help people find more confidence. Like, yes, those people exist. No, they don't want to go to prison by virtue of their views. They're kind of cowardly. I don't think they're going to risk everything just to do something dumb to us. Some of them do, but don't be afraid to leave your house. You got to go live your life. Just, you know what I mean? It's beneath you. Just try to cast it away. From your experiences as a trans woman and as a clinical therapist, I think that arms you with a unique perspective that just a lot of other people who might have might be struggling with who they are and the feelings that come with that. I think that you can do for people and you're a pretty cool role model for that. I try to be, but it's also interesting because I've gotten some negative blowback from some people within my community as well. And there's a simple formula where it comes down to like personal security and this has nothing to do with queerness, transness, being whatever. It's as universal. The more insecure you are, the more likely you are to like project because you don't want to think about your own identity if you have a negative self of you. Mm-hmm. So for trans people, especially like early in transition, it's very common. For, and we just have a massive level of insecurity for all the reasons I was listing, but a massive insecurity of like seeing some other trans person out here who's maybe like, not passing at the time or is like, you know, in some way drawing attention that this person would be terrified of receiving. So suddenly they develop kind of a negative opinion of that trans person because unconsciously they're feeling this fear of what it would feel like to be that person. And that's actually a lot of where this transphobia comes from too. We know it. There's a sexual attraction component and then there's the closeted people who aren't ready to come out with it. So they project these negative fears onto us we make them afraid so they get mad at us because they feel afraid but so i've had people be like you draw negative attention to us and i was like well if i draw negative attention to me that's often by choice frankly Mm -hmm. (laughs) a bit of self-marketing but you know it's like being loud is going to make the quiet people worry for their own safety or think you know like i don't i don't present the same level of femininity that some people choose to and there are some like negative projections that way. But at the same time, I've had a ton of people say thank you for representing like, I'm not an uncommon trans person, but this, the face of trans people in mainstream society are like people who are trying to look exactly like cis women or act or sound exactly like cis women. A majority of us are getting more radical. We're like, fuck that. Like, why? Who else is pretending to be somebody else? Like, we came out to stop pretending something. So like, some of us are just challenging some of those notions as well. And that makes some people nervous. Um, so I try to be a role model, but it's typically for people who are trying to be more out and loud and forceful about our existence. Have you 
you followed Gabby Tuft's transition? People once knew her as Tyler Rex in WWE about a decade or so ago. Um, I'm familiar. I know who she is. I don't. I don't know a lot about her situation. I know that she mm-hmm. came out. Seemed like she'd been coming out kind of in private for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and then kind of like burst on the scene, kind of like Caitlyn Jenner did a little bit. But what was your question about it? Yeah, I was wondering if you're just familiar with it, and, and have you followed it at all? Oh, not not a lot at this point. I mean, one thing I'll say, and it's like it becomes a bit of a nuisance, and I'm glad it hasn't happened to me. And probably if I ever get like famous, famous, it will, and it's going to be gross. But when we change our names legally and we're transitioning, we refer to our old name as our dead name. Like a lot of people say your legal name or your government name, but like, you know, we change it legally, but we do it because it reminds us of like old times. We don't want to be revisiting. But so the media is always like so obsessed with the notion of like, it's almost like this is still like the aha factor of like, well, they used to be this, but now they're this. So they always use people's dead names. And it's like, I know why, because people know who, who she was. But then for us in the community, we're always like, come on, like, eh, it's just, it's, it's one of those things. That's the stuff I notice, you know, like I'm glad there's more and more people coming out and getting more mainstream. Like Nyla Rose is the reason I decided to start training. Frankly, I didn't ever dream it was going to be a real thing. And then there she was, I was like, word, guess I'm training. But yeah, you know, like it bums me out that, that Gabby has to probably deal with, I mean, I know she comes off with like a good attitude and everything, but we all kind of get affected the same way by dysphoria. I'm sure she has a hard time with it, whether she cares to admit it or not. But it seems like largely she's gotten a pretty positive reaction. I haven't seen a ton of like outward hate about it. I haven't personally. Yep. So uh, let's talk a little bit about wrestling now. I know you work a lot in Michigan as that's where you're from, but you've also worked for some companies in the Chicagoland region, places like Rocket Pro Wrestling, where you debuted earlier this year as a therapist for No Coast, in particular for Joey Blues and Brian Grazer. And you've been an integral part of this storyline with No Coast as starting when Joey and Brian were fighting amongst themselves. And then you came in to kind of be their therapist, set them straight, get them back together. And mm-hmm. then now they seem to be on the same side fighting against two of their former affiliates, uh, Trevon Wolf and DC Shaw. So whose idea was it to bring you in with no ghost? Well, I don't think he'd mind me saying, but it was from the, uh, the genius near the top of the food chain one, Damien Saint. He's not a very popular yeah. figure at Rocket Pro Wrestling, but he is one of the masterminds. He saw a lot of potential in my boys and uh, Brian and Joey, as you mentioned, and he saw what could be for some reason, it just wasn't materializing. And he'd caught wind of me over at uh, Chicagoland when I rocked the roots, when I debuted with brutality over there. Um, they liked what I did there. They said, you know what? We want some of that over here. Help these dudes out. And you saw, I don't know if you were paying attention, but from the minute I showed up, they won and then they won and then they won. And then we beat the hell out of people month after month after month. Um, kidnapped an old man, mm-hmm. you know, pushing down a hill in a wheelchair. Like, found a lot of creative ways to challenge their their uh, self-imposed limitations, if you will. Um, it's been a been a successful marriage. You you mentioned old man. Uh, that old man is the name of Chet Gunderson. That's and right. at, Rocket, at Rocket's last show, Spring Break, a character by the name of Chelsea Gunderson jumped you and threw you through a door which was set up in a corner. So what's going on there? For starters, she didn't jump me. If she would have just jumped me, it would have been a totally different situation. I'd probably be in jail right now. What happened is I went to the ring with my boys, as I've been doing for months. Mm-hmm. As usual, we we're beating the crap out of D.C. and what's-his-face. 
what's his face? Wolf something or other? I'm Wolf, yep. There you go. Thank you. Um, DC Shaw, Shaw, that's yeah. yep. So they, you know, they took chairs and they knocked these two out. All of a sudden I was standing alone in the ring with two full grown men holding chairs and the rings being surrounded by a bunch of dorks in a group called the limb, the limb, the mm-hmm. lovely, lovely intoxicated men. There yeah. you go. That's something to do with ignorance or ignoramuses or something. Men. That's hilarious. So they're <laughs> dancing around the ring with their own weapons. I got two guys looking at me with weapons and then here comes Chelsea Blunderton to the ring. So there's like seven people. She didn't get the best of me. I fought a crowd of people. That's what happened. And there's a lawsuit pending because that door should have never been there in the first place. You've been in contact with uh, Eric Schultz at all about that? Who? Eric Schultz, attorney Eric Schultz, who's a Damien Saints right-hand man. Oh, uh, no, I've got my own retainer that covers my uh, limited licensing and stuff for my uh, therapy card. (laughs) (laughs) And and this is all setting up. At Kicks on 66, which takes place Saturday evening, May the 6th, at St. Joseph Park in Joliet, doors at 4, bell at 5. This will be the Battle of No Coast. will commence as the fans will bring the weapons when Joy Blues and Brian Fraser will face Trevon Wolf and D.C. Shaw. So what's your stance on all this? Well, before we even get to that, I want to point something else out. When I got thrown through that door, did you notice who didn't come and help me out of the ring? I got some words to have with Joey and Brian. I don't know where the the disconnect came from, but I got my ass kicked. And then they didn't even bother. After all these months of helping them, I'm just a little verklempt. So before that fight even starts at the next show, I have some good news. I've decided unilaterally that they've completed my treatment program. They're going to be receiving certificates of completion of our therapeutic journey together at this next event. We might even have a little ceremony. So there may be some graduations uh, to be had. We'll have to wait and see. But I do want some answers from them. I feel a little slighted. Let's put it that way. So I'll probably be there to help them against these two. But I, it kind of depends on what they tell me. I'm not thrilled about the fact that I'm still picking slivers out of my ass. So mm-hmm. uh, what I expect to have happen is for the crowd to bring a bunch of ridiculous weapons that nobody could possibly use because it would be illegal. And hopefully a couple of people bring some stuff we can use and we're going to beat the hell out of these two guys like we've been doing for months and months and months. And then an ambulance will come and take them away because when you have that many weapons at your disposal, I'm assuming they want us to use them um, or them to use them, depending on how the graduation ceremony goes. But I don't expect anything different. I expect Joey and Brian to be standing on top of some unconscious bodies at the end of that thing. Well, hopefully everything goes well with Joey and Brian in their graduation ceremony. Otherwise, we might see... Davis and Sarai not uh, be at ringside for that match. Well, like I said, I got a lot of thoughts in my mind. I assume I would be. I am trying. In, I mean, I'm a therapist. All I do all the time is think about how people think, their motivations. I just I'm not sure what to do with the fact that I helped them get to this point in their career at Rocket Pro. And the first time I have a hard time, they're just nowhere to be found. I, I want some answers for that. But we got a good relationship. So I'm assuming I'll get those answers, and then you'll see me out there beating the hell out of people right alongside them. Now, you've also worked with All-Star Lucha Libre, and you're in the ring with Tully Bertarelli, who's a really big dude. And yeah, you're also And you're also appearing for Chicagoland Championship Wrestling, run by John Buller. So you're getting into the scene a little bit. So what is your take on the Chicagoland scene so far? 
You know, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I've been pleasantly surprised to find that I am from the West Michigan area. There's only one real company that runs uh, on this side, and it's called IPW. For anybody in Michigan who's watching that, there's one real company that runs the West side. Oh, I take it back. And Lethal Lucha. Sorry about that, guys. Um, I'm dissing a company from the East side who requires dissing. Um, ask me the question again. Sorry, I got hung up on being petty. So uh, what is your take on the Chicago <laughs> scene so far after you, Thank you. worked for a few companies? Yeah. Thank you. Um, I've enjoyed it. Part of the reason was finding out that I can fit in because Chicago sounds so legendary from outside of it. You know what I mean? Like I'm right between Chicago and Detroit and I was worried I wouldn't be able to break into Detroit, but then I did. And then I kind of, I wouldn't say I got lucky, but um, John Bullard wound up being my in into the scene at large. When I do my promo work, which is predominantly what I'm known for, which bums me out because I'd want to focus on being a wrestler, but a lot of people are focusing on my managerial stuff, which take it or leave it personally. I'd rather be wrestling, but I have a, like a cinematic way of doing my promos, like doing vignettes and things. And John saw some of my stuff, but then I saw some of the stuff he was making for Chicagoland coming back and he got really into video editing during the shutdown. So did I. So we kind of became like quick fans of each other's um, aesthetic style. And I knew he ran Chicagoland, but I also know you don't just pester people for a job. So I said to him at one point, I would love to work for you someday, but I'm not going to plan on it. And you're super cool. So we became really good friends. And then honestly, like six or eight months later, like it wasn't quick. One day he just said he wanted me to debut. And I was like, didn't you know what I was going to? That's fine. But then he introduced me to the, the folks over at uh, All-Star Lucha Libre. I, I trained there for a minute. I went to maybe like four or five practices I get vertigo really quickly. And the last training I went to, I puked and I puked and I puked and it was a rough night for me. So I don't go as often as I would like, but that's how I kind of got in uh, over there as well. Tully became a bit of a friend uh, just from various workers. I met him along the way. And then I tapped him out uh, at my Lucha Libre debut. So that was fun. But yeah, I don't know. It's diverse. It's a higher caliber of, of talent than, than a lot of Michigan, frankly. So it's, it, it feels, it feels like a bit of a level up, honestly. And I, I feel like I'm doing pretty well. I feel like I'm getting a bit of a name in that circle now. So I'm looking for, always looking for that next thing. Yes, indeed. So uh, what are your goals in the wrestling business and how much longer do you expect to be working as a wrestler? Well, since I'm timeless, I don't know. I mean, maybe I wrestle till I'm 60. I don't have any idea. I'll just do it until I can't do it or until I get tired of doing it. I'm going to be honest. It is hard and it's not just the physical stuff but it's like I, almost every wrestler i know does wind up struggling with some level of like anxiety or it's it, you're constantly comparing yourself to others constantly all day every day and it's an aesthetic thing too so like it's easy to feel insecure it's easy to feel rejected if you don't get bookings it's easy to like it can pile up if you're not trying to keep it balanced you know so that's been kind of difficult luckily i've been getting a lot of yeses so assuming that that continues to be the case, what I would like to do is wrestle as long as I can. I'd like to be known as a wrestler. I, I, wrest, I trained for like 15 or 16 months with Josh before I ever debuted. I'm one of the few women I know who focus almost entirely on doing like British uh, world of sports style. And cool, there's going to be a Johnny Saint uh, thing coming up over in Chicago on June 11th, mm -hmm. which would be a really cool seminar for people. But that's stuff I've been working on forever. But I chose that also, not only because I love it, but because it's low impact, fewer bumps. So I could maybe wrestle longer strictly because I chose that style. Um, and then when I'm not able to physically do it, then I'll happily just dedicate my time to being a manager or a, a announcer, 
Um, I like doing color commentary a lot, but as I can wrestle now, that's what I want to be predominantly doing. Hopefully if I ever got the option to do it for real money, like I doubt he's going to hear this, but I'm training with Ricky Shane page down at Cleveland uh, once a month as well, doing his new mm-hmm. company, ruthless wrestling RCW. And he's working at MLW and he's currently in a faction with Raven. My hope that I'm trying to manifest right now is I impress him enough in the ring and with my promos. He's like, you know what? I should introduce you to these people at MLW. And then I go do that thing. That feels like the next immediate thing I could possibly get into. Trying to get into AAW sometime soon as well. But that's the goal is just to keep getting a place, get acclimated, try to get recognized, get to the next place, get used to it, get acclimated, go to the next place. I've succeeded everywhere I've gone so far. So I don't necessarily see a ceiling. Now, you might have a little bit of an advantage of getting into it in your 40s because you really don't have a lot as much wear and tear as you could have if you were like a 20-year veteran. True. Yep. And I make that joke all the time. I'm dating a wrestler who just turned 40, and he's always complaining about how bad he hurts. And I'm like, I'm 47. He's like, you've been wrestling for a year and a half. Shut up. So, yeah. That's true, though. Yeah, there's there's a weird, like, it's hard to gauge timeline because of that. You know what I mean? Like... I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm also not wrestling constantly. I try to do like five or six shows a month tops. Mm-hmm. And that allows me like a week at a time to, to kind of recover. And then if I know I'm doing a Saturday and a Sunday or a Friday and a Saturday, I'm going to try to work a different style in my first, my first match. So I'm not totally like banged up and, and worn out the next day. Um, so I'm, I'm being careful and you know, I'm trying intentionally to like limit the wear and tear. But so that, yeah. Not to say you're not working hard, but working smarter, not harder, I guess, kind of, you know, the type of thing that you're doing right there. Yeah. yeah, please. It's not that I'm working hard. I mean, not that I'm not working hard. I mean, I'm driving yes. all over the freaking Midwest already. Like, you know, I mean, I have to work out constantly. We all do. You know what I mean? Like, it's no joke. Everything that anybody has said in a cliche way in any wrestling interview you've ever heard about the back pain and the neck pain and the all that, it's all 100% true. <laughs> so yeah. finding a smart way to just keep doing it as long as you can by reducing the wear and tear i eat way more blueberries than i ever used to you know what i mean like i'm eating like for health to intentional like speed up like recovery and all that i'm, I'm trying everything so <laughs> yeah all right davison um before we let you go uh, go ahead and plug your social media if you have any merchandise available, well, will be available and upcoming events around the area. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Let me grab my book. Okay. That's totally cool. Um, well, for starters, you can find me on all social media platforms. I'm on Facebook as Davison Sarai Artemis. On TikTok, I am the real, real Davison Sarai. I believe I am just Davison Sarai on my YouTube channel. I think I'm Davison Sarai Wrestling on Instagram. But I kind of got enough signal now that if you just search Davison Sarai, it kind of pop up. Um, as far as shows go, let me see what I have here. I just added a bunch of stuff. Uh, next Wednesday, April the 26th, I'll be in Cleveland. That's for the, the second show for Ricky Shane Page's company, Ruthless Wrestling. On Saturday, May the 6th, I'll be at Rocket Pro Wrestling in Joliet. Uh, the next day, May 7th, I'll be at Grizzly Pro Wrestling in Detroit. That's where I'm wrestling Jocelyn Navarro. Uh, it's the first ever women's championship they're introducing. One of the two of us will be winning that title. Uh, I'll be down in Muncie, Indiana, at Indiana Powerhouse Wrestling on Saturday the 13th. 
I will be in Owasso, Michigan with uh, Superstar Championship Wrestling on Saturday the 20th. And then in Battle Creek with Lito Lucha on the 21st. I will then be in Cleveland on Wednesday the 31st. And I just got a bunch of June dates together, if I may. Uh, June the 2nd and 3rd, I'm also in Owasso, Michigan with SCW. On Saturday the 10th, I'll be in Muncie, Indiana again with IPW. June the 16th and 17th, Friday, Saturday, I'll be doing events outside of uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'll have to get more information on those. And then I'll be at Grizzly Pro Wrestling again on June 25th, uh, that Saturday. So I'm very busy. <laughs> Any yeah. Davison Sarai merchandise coming? Yeah, I got stuff at my live events. Um, I've got uh, t-shirts. They're very cool. It looks like me choking somebody out. And it says uh, Queen of the Kingdom. I've also got some t uh, some tank tops I'm having made for the graphic of me. And it says Harbinger of Pain. I need to start a Brainbuster Tees store. I still haven't done it for whatever reason. I don't know why I haven't. So this is me taking social accountability. I'm going to start a Brainbuster Tees store. Uh, but at live events, you can buy my coffee cups. You can buy my notebooks. You can buy my refrigerator magnets. I got posters. I got all the good stuff. Thank you so much for coming on and thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me and listening to me ramble. I greatly appreciate it. That was quite the interview with Davis and Sarai looking forward to her and the rest of no coast at Rocket Pro Wrestling's Kicks on 66 on Saturday, May the 6th in Joliet. All right, next week, we're going to have more local coverage, including previews of AAW and POW Entertainment. And we welcome for the first time as a guest, the man with the Rocket to the Top briefcase, Dreambreaker Aaron Stone, as we preview Rocket Pro Wrestling's Kicks on 66. And you'll get that all right here on Windy City Slam Podcast. So long, everybody.